Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Greetings. You know, since uh, last I saw some of you, I've seen a lot of beautiful things. Thousand-year-old castles and priceless jewels. We even saw a pillow that the Austrian queen used to sleep on that had diamonds bigger than you've ever seen and rubies and gems in the pillow can you can you believe this i mean now that's a pillow we got some pillows but i don't have any pillows like that incredible architecture historical artifacts cities beyond really beyond my i thought i had an imagination but apparently not quite as big as the real world and looking at all those things was wonderful for me but what made them worth looking at to me was seeing them all covered in the fingerprints of God. And I guess you can walk around the world and you can see it a lot of different ways, but uh, that's how I look. When I look, I look for what God is doing. I know there's horrible things that go on in the world and people have abandoned God in many ways, but I see the fingerprints of God and I see the plans of the Almighty for His kingdom to come. The scriptures say that the kingdoms of this world will pass away and they will become what? The kingdoms of Christ. And David knew where to look when he needed help and comfort. Psalm 21 says this, it says, I will lift up mine eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made the heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he keepeth Israel and he shall never slumber or sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day nor the moon by night, but the Lord shall preserve thee from evil and he shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Isn't that what we have to know? Uh, It is solid and sure. Part of our country is facing the largest hurricane in the recorded history uh, making landfall as we gather together. Uh, big the storm at the size of the state of Ohio. Um, people that we love are uh, have died, and and big events have happened in our lives. And it can seem like there is nothing sure, but there is something that is sure, and it is Christ alone. 
He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let us pray. Lord God, we gather in your presence today and we are thankful that you love us, that your mercies were new this morning when we woke up for us. Lord, that you have sent out the call and people will answer that call. Lord, that you are saving people and changing people and forgiving people of their sins. And Lord God, today we come before you, gathered together with you on this Queen of Days, to forget about all those things that we can do nothing about and focus on you and look to you, our Master and our Savior. In Christ's name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. standing for just a moment as I read my text for you from John chapter 12 starting in verse 1 and going to verse 15. John chapter 12 starting in verse 1 going to verse 15. Then Jesus six days before the Passover came to Bethany where Lazarus was which had been dead whom he raised from the dead. There they made a Supper for him, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the bag and he bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always you have with you, but me you have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches and palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold thy king. He cometh sitting on an ass's colt. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you opening up your word, looking into it so that we might be changed by it, that we might see ourselves as we are and that you would change us to be more like you. Help us, O God, to use your word as a mirror for ourselves and not a magnifying glass to look at the lives of others. May you change us and make us holy as you are holy. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There is a lot to see here in John chapter 12. And you'll see that I am 
uh, talking a lot about sight, okay? Behold thy king, right? There's a lot to see here in John chapter 12. In fact, that's, that's what we're talking about, what we see. There's a lot to look at in this story. And you might think, you know, Pastor Mark, you, you break off these giant passages of Scripture that you could, you know, I could probably preach on this passage for weeks and weeks and weeks. And, and I, I definitely could. Uh, but there's something about taking the stories as a whole and seeing what God would say to us that has been, uh, that God's really been dealing with me about doing. So one of the things we see in this story, which oftentimes is the focus of the story, is sweet, thankful, worshiping Mary, right? I mean, when, when you see, when you read the story, what she does is extraordinary and it is very powerful. Uh, this sweet, thankful woman, uh, what she does for her friend and savior is, is a beautiful thing. We also see Martha, the hostess, you know, as they say, the hostess with the mostess. And um, that's pretty funny. My, I misspelled it, and it says the hostess with the moistest. Uh, so I'm glad I didn't read that. Uh, I'm glad I went ahead and, and just said what I was thinking. Whose diligence made a home worth visiting. You know, there's a lot to be said about someone who makes their home somewhere you want to be. And, you know, growing up... Um, Everybody wanted to be at my house. Uh, there was always food there, and my home was clean, and people would come in, and there was a table there, and people would greet you. And uh, I would wake up some mornings for school, you know, and it's still dark outside, and there would be a group of people sitting at my table. You know, I don't know that I don't know anybody else that lives like this, but it's how I grew up. And uh, several of my uncles would be there, and my grandpa, and uh, they'd show up. My grandpa had driven all the way from West Virginia. And they were going to go golfing, and my uncles would be there, and you know, and they were there. So their uh, uh, their sister Ellen could make them breakfast. You know, there's something to be said about someone who makes a home somewhere you want to be, and that's what Martha did, and she uh, made it possible for the teaching to occur and uh, for good things to happen. My wife does this. And uh, I hope in the, in the years to come that our home continues to be a place where people want to come. Um, and so we see Martha here. We also see Lazarus, the miracle man. Now, he's hard not to look at in this story. I mean, uh, in, the, in, in the chapter before, he's dead. Uh, he's in the ground. He's wrapped up in mummy clothes. He's behind a stone for four days. It's hard not to get in the story and go, so Lazarus is just sitting here at the table eating with Jesus. It's hard not to look at him and say, wow, you know, how, how can we not, how can we not look at this man who's been on the other side and he lived to tell about it, right? A man who had been to Abraham's bosom, no doubt, uh, or something like it. We also have the poor. The poor are mentioned in here. And the poor are, for me, actually on a daily basis, hard not to look at. I, I get these emails and texts and, and video clips from another side of the world where their poverty is beyond your comprehension, unless you've been there to see it. And even when you've been there, you don't really know what you're seeing. I mean, I remember, I, I've told, I, I mentioned this in my radio interview. I don't know if you guys uh, listened to it. But I remember... 
going there and, and wanting to sit on the beach and wondering why nobody was there. Why is nobody at this beautiful beach? And they said, oh, because if they swim, they will starve. Because they needed to work all day, every day, and they never had time to swim. I, does anybody know poverty like that? I, I don't know poverty like that. I can't even imagine it. I wanted to burn some firewood, and they couldn't imagine why I would waste firewood. I just wanted to burn it just to look at it, and just to set out on the beach, because that's what we do. That's not what they do. So the poor, they're, they're hard not to look at. You know, this great... Uh, money, uh, this great value of money, this vast quantity of money that Mary just pours out like it's nothing. What could it have done for them? What could it do in Myanmar? It's hard not to look at the poor. And then it turns our eye also to Judas, and he's hard to look at, but he's also hard to look away from. Here he is. He's trusted, respected, Right? I mean, you don't get to be the treasurer, right, Andy? Unless people think you're a trustworthy guy, right? You know, we didn't make Tim the treasurer. I'm just kidding. Uh, but people, people trust that someone's going to pay attention, and that's totally a joke, Tim, you know. Uh, but but when, when you make someone the treasure, when you you see Judas, if you remember, he wasn't from the he wasn't a fisherman and from, from these fishing villages. He wasn't like me and Steve, right? He wasn't a roughneck, right? He came from, you know, upper, the upper crust, the, the business world, you know. Judas was this important, well-respected, a little bit more cultured kind of a guy. But what was he? He was a scallywag. He was vile. And, uh, but here in the story, he's, he cares. Who does he care about? Oh, he cares about the poor and he cares about the management of money. Management of money is a good thing, right? Right? So he's pointing us to the poor. He's pointing us to good stewardship in money. He's hard. He's hard not to look like. Knowing what would become of him and how he would sell the Lord for 30 pieces of silver and turn to suicide in the infamous Akeldama, the field of blood kind of makes him hard not to watch in the story. He loved money. Money catches our eye, does it not? How many find that when you, you know, how many of us watch the show Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous? You know, anybody ever saw that years ago? Why do we watch this? You know, we were up in Maine and and uh, we were doing this little, you know, crab or uh, lobster fisher thing. And it was like a little touristy thing. And, and we went by and there was a. million yacht with a helicopter on top of it, you know, and how do you not just go? They're like, oh, he rents it out to people. He said for $250,000 a week, he rents it out for people, you know, people that might want to use it for the week. You know, money, money has a way of making us look, doesn't it? How do they live like that? How do they have that much money? Man, people, wow. You know, there's a lot to look at in this story. Money seems so very important. We should watch it very carefully, people say. Be very judicious with what we do with this great, powerful thing. We're all so hypnotized by money. There's no shortage on things to look at. As I said before, 
in this story, but in our lives, there's no shortage of things to look at. So many things flashing before us in a constant state of competition for our affections and for our attention. So many things to see, but only one thing truly worthy of our affections. Amen? Y'all sleep? Amen? Behold thy king. You know, we can get distracted very easily. And we do. We experience heavy loss. We go through bad situations. We get a new job. We want to start building our lives. We, you know, you're a young man and a young girl catches your eye and you're a young girl and you think of what about being married and and, and there's a lot of things. You know, God calls us to not look at these things as, as in, do you guys remember the thing? It says, he that goeth to the plow and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom. Do you guys, do you guys even, you understand this analogy? Have you ever plowed anything? I had this, gar- I had this really big garden. It was about half the size of our church property. I was about 14, 15 years old. And this is when I first learned this, you know. I really wanted to have straight rows. My, my West Virginia relatives always had these great gardens and they had these great rows. And, and uh, so I was trying to, we had this little hand plow that had a little wheel, you know, and, you know, and, and as I would push it, you know, I'm going to make sure I'm straight and I'm looking back. And what do you think happened to my row, guys? It went off. If you want to plow right, if you want to create straight rows, you got to look right where you're going. My dad... Uh, when he would, when he taught me how to drive, you know, I used to, when I would drive, Steve, uh, when, before my dad explained this to me, I would drive and, and going around curves was difficult. Any of you young people have trouble going around curves? You're like in the curve and you're like, oh, I think my car's going to turn over, you know? But when my dad told me, he says, what you got to do is you got to look at not where you're at, but you got to look at where you're going. And when I would, when I would drive like that, you know, before it's like, I want to make sure I'm not over this line. I'm not over that line. You know, I'm just, I'm driving. I'm, I'm, I'm looking down at the road. And before you know, I'm going to the left. And then my dad's like, no, don't do that. Look way down the road to where you're going. And when you look way down the road where you're going, guess what you do? You drive in a straight line. It's amazing. Life calls us and in, 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 in attracts our attention to this and to this and to this and to this. And before you know it, especially if you're on vacation in a crazy place, you can be in the other lane, right? Behold thy king. Everybody say, behold thy king. Behold your king today. Today is the queen of all days. A day to turn away from everything and everyone else and look full in his wonderful face. His glory does not fade. His beauty does not wane or wax. He is the same yesterday, today. And forever. He has called us to forget those things that are behind us and not worry about tomorrow, right? He calls us to look at Him who doesn't change. But we want to keep looking at those things. And I'll tell you, you know, I feel bad even mentioning my own pain because I know so many have had so much more pain. But losing losing my mother... Kind of caught me off guard. I thought I was big. I'm almost fifty, and and you know I'm I'm solid, and I've got a good theological ideas. And 
but I haven't handled it very well. All of a sudden, I'm just, it's like, it's like the whole world's just sand. What's, what's next? You know? Everything just, and it's like everything's moving, right? Like, where, what, 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 what? Is there going to be a future? Is, are things going to turn out the way that I want them to be? Are, are my kids ever going to grow up and get married? Are, are, is something going to happen to them? When we put our thoughts and our affections on, let's say it was all wrapped up in the stock market and today was the day of the big crash, you would be, you're doing this. But when you behold your king and you understand that he is the only thing that doesn't change. God's been dealing with me about the kingdom and I'm not preaching a message about it today. But I'm starting to understand what God means when he explains that he's going to change the world through the church. You see, families, families are people, families break up, people die, things don't work out the way you think they're going to work out. It's so unstable, but, but the church is a solid thing that's always there. If, if half the families left this church or in a hundred years, none of us are going to be here. But what's going to be here, I hope, the church. It's the solid, it's the thing that will move through history and time and change our world. It won't be the Robinette family. It won't be the Cusel or the Narwhal or the Foisey family. It won't be that. It will be the church of the living God. It is the stable thing. It is the rock that Christ has established that we should be building on. And what we do is we build on sand instead. He's called us. To look to him who holds the future. Behold our king today. Look away from everyone and everything. In our text in John 12, it is what happened next in the life of Jesus. Last week we talked about the miracle of Bethany at the house of Martha. Did we not? How Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead after four days. We saw how easy it can be to look into our future at what we think is going to be and make wrong decisions about right now. We play the game of chess with our life. Instead of believing God's word, we say, Oh, I can't do this because if I do this, this is going to happen, right? That's what we do. You might not, you weren't here last week, you missed it. Caiaphas says, you know what? Every, if we don't stop Lazarus right now, all of Israel will believe in him. And if they do, then the Romans are come and they're going to squash us. So what do they do, Jason? They looked into their future and they were certain of being squashed by the Romans. And so what did they do? They wanted to squash Jesus. And they had a real good reason to do it. But that's what we do too. We look into our future at what we believe is going to happen. You see, we get our eyes off of Christ and we get our eyes in the future of what we are certain is going to happen. Oh, if we don't do this, we're going to, if we don't let our daughter marry this guy, we're going to lose her. If we don't let this couple live together in sin in our church, oh, they'll leave our church. And so then, then they won't serve God. And we look at what we believe is going to happen that's, that, and we fear that worse than we than obeying God right now and dealing with the situation. This is how our enemy, the flesh, and the devil work to keep our eyes off of Christ. Look away from evil that threatens us tomorrow and do the good that God calls us.
today. Between the time Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead in John 11 to our text here in John 12, Jesus leaves and he goes to Judea and he teaches. Now, Judea is used to be where the tribe of Judah lived and it, they ended up calling it Judea. And we're going to go later and we're going to talk about the things he taught when he was there. And we'll do that in the coming weeks. But right now we're going on to this story. John 12, 1. Then Jesus, six days after the Passover, came to Bethany where... Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. Can you imagine this reunion? I mean, the last time he was at your house, he raised you from the dead. I mean, you know, can anyone even picture this? I mean, I, I've gone to visit people I haven't seen in a while, you know, and they're like, they come out, they, you know, the Murphys are out on their front porch, Benita, and the Murphy kids are in trees, you know, and they're like, ah, could you imagine Jesus coming? He had just raised him from the dead. Can you imagine that reunion? You know, he, he, and can you imagine Jesus also knows that this is the last week of his life on earth. Now, Jesus had the advantage that we don't have. It's almost like, you know, a while back we thought we knew we only had so much time with our mother. Imagine knowing you were going to leave and never be back. Imagine how Jesus felt. He looked at them, Steve, and... He was just drinking them in. If you don't think so, you don't, you don't believe he was really a man. He was. He knew that they would be sad. That they would be persecuted. That they would be missing him. That they would be confused at his death. He knew all of that as he sat there with them. His heart, no doubt, heavy with this knowledge. Every moment with them precious. The last time he had been there, he would raised him from the dead. Mary and Martha had been living every day since this on borrowed time, gifted them with their beloved brother. And I, I say beloved because he must have been, Lazarus must have been something else. If he was Jesus' buddy, and you might go, that sounds a little irreverent. No, no, it's not. He was a man. And there's, there's nothing like having a buddy. And Lazarus was Jesus' buddy. So he, he must have been quite a fellow. No one here has been brave enough to name your kid Lazarus, have you? But Jesus loved him enough to want to be with him right before he died. He went to his house. He had risen him from the dead. He went, oh, yeah, I did enough for this guy. I'll see him later. No, he knows he's going to die, and he goes there. Where? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house. That's where he wants to go. It's his opportunity without having to say goodbye to say goodbye. Verse 2 says, there they made him a supper. I'll bet it was quite a supper. You know, beetle uh, is really blooming and flowering and cooking in our home. And she, it's crazy. You, I don't know how your houses are, but beetle, she'll make this. She'll be in there. She'll be working and, you know, on this beautiful meal. And, uh, and then she's not even done. She's making something. She's making a cake. So then after we eat, then we're going to get a cake. And she's, you know, everybody didn't have a beetle, but we got one. I bet, that, I bet things were made so lovely. I bet care was taken to make sure the meal was just right. It, by very definition, it was an extraordinary meal, right? And Martha served. She hadn't given up her hard work since Jesus' first visit when he, she was resentful that Mary wasn't helping. Remember that? 
She hadn't given it up. I think it's funny that John says, Martha served. I think it's funny. John knows that when she was serving before, the first time Jesus came to their house, she went and said, Lord, what's wrong with Mary? Why won't she help? Can't you see there's a lot to be done? She was resentful in spirit. She was comparing herself. Jesus, Mary was sitting at his feet while Martha did all the work. Now she served with the heart of a true Christian servant, not looking at what others were doing around her, but with her eyes and her heart on him. She doesn't complain this time that no one's working. It didn't say Mary served too. It didn't say, it says Lazarus sat at the table. Could you, I can just picture this. Can you imagine it, Beetle? Imagine if your big brother or your little brother, I think Lazarus was her little brother. He'd been risen from the dead and Jesus is there. Honey, you just sit down there with him and I'll take care of everything. Wouldn't you want to do that? And that's what she did. It said, Lazarus sat at the table. I love it. Martha's serving like that's because that's who she is. That's what God called her. It wasn't that God said, forget it. Who cares if anybody serves? If nobody served, there wouldn't be any meal. If nobody served, there wouldn't be a table for Jesus to sit at. If nobody served, when the Pharisees came and and the disciples, there wouldn't be this environment. Martha's gift of God was right there, working and serving, and she made it it so special. And and she just wanted her brother, you just sit here with Jesus, just sit with him. So Martha's working, and she's happy that Lazarus is sitting there. And and, and Mary, Mary, she's so thankful. Verse 3, Mary goes and gets a pound of ointment of spikenard. Verse 3, very costly, and she anoints the feet of Jesus. This substance is liquidy, and it's, it's, she pours it on his feet, and she takes her hair. Who's got hair long enough to do this? And she takes her hair, and she puts on the feet of Jesus, and, and can you imagine doing this? It's like the consistency of like olive oil, and it's a lot of it. And she pours it on there. It's a whole pound of it, so it's a lot of it. And she pours it all on there, and she takes her hair, and she wipes Jesus' feet what would that do to your hair, girls? What would that do? Do you guys know what spikenard is? How many people like goat cheese? Or, or even feta cheese? My wife, she likes that. Spikenard, they said, kind of smelled like dirty feet. And you might go, now come on. I'm telling you. I don't particularly like horseradish sauce, but if you put a little of it on something, it changes it. I was telling my wife, I said, it's like, it's like orange peel. Who likes to eat orange peels? You do? Tim, you like orange peel? I, I don't want to eat orange peels, right? But if you take orange peels and you take just a little bit of the orange peels and you put it in something, it gives it a great taste. It's called or- They call it orange zest, Okay. Spikenard comes from the mountains of the Himalayas. It only, it's only from there. This is not a plant from Israel. It's not something that... This is an imported oil that comes from the spiky flower. And this flower only grows on the mountains of the Himalayas. Can you... Isn't this exotic, you know? And it was also called like musk 
or because it was so powerful. They say some people literally, when they smell it, they get sick. But they use it in cooking and they mix it with things and it makes things richer uh, and it creates, you know, um, Jeff, you know, you taught me this term. I, I'm somewhat of a Philistine when it comes to culinary things and I think you might be too, but, but you, you told me you're talking about something, is it savory or whatever? It's, it, it created a savoriness, a deep, rich, so I, when I read a story, I think, what was this like? That's what I want to know. That's why I looked it up. I want to know, what is this stuff that she's pouring on his feet? And so, you know, I thought I'd find some great spiritual, and there might be, I don't know, but I'm just, we're here in the moment, okay? And she's poured this musk, musky stuff she poured. Do you know how much it was worth? Now, we, you know it's worth a lot because somebody complained, but does anyone know how much it was worth, like in today's money? It was worth what a man makes in an entire year if he saved every single dollar, never spent any of it, all that. Can you imagine that, Heath? All the money. I mean, who can even imagine having that much money? I can never, I can have, ever have that much money. All of it in a pound of ointment, and she pours it on his feet. Now, I think, Andy, don't you think she kind of went over out of hand, overhand? She probably shouldn't have done that. I mean, how wasteful. That's what I would think. You might go, Judas, he's evil, and, and I can't believe him. I mean, you know, that he's pointing out. This, by anybody, this is not, Judas is not being unreasonable. This is a horrible waste of something good. Do you, can you imagine the good that could be done with a full year's income of a man uh, all at one time in one place? And what does she do? Jason, she pours it on the ground, on his feet. And it just oozes everywhere, and she puts it in her hair. It probably smelled so strong you couldn't even be near her. She really soiled herself horribly. Nobody's going to want to be near her for a while. She's covered in a smell so strong that it makes some people violently ill because it's so strong. And she's got an entire pound of this worth tens of thousands and thousands of dollars. Can you believe this? The only thing I can think of like it in the Bible is the water that David's three mighty men in 2 Samuel 23 went to. You guys remember this? David is, uh, he's really kind of talking to himself and he says, Oh, that I might have water from the well of Bethlehem at the gate. Now, you know what the problem was, Steve? Is that the Philistines had made their headquarters in Bethlehem. That was their new capital, their new head stronghold, right? And so this desire of David to just ask for water from this was like saying, you know, I wish I could get a rock from the moon. He wasn't thinking anybody in the world would ever take him seriously. But they do. You guys remember this story? Second Samuel 23, 13 through 17. These men, because they loved him so much, they went and they fought. I mean... I can't believe no one's ever made a movie about this. They go and they fight and they risk their lives. They get the water, they bring it to him. And what does he do, honey? Oh, man, he just drinks it all. Is that what he does? No. He looks at this and he goes, you did what? You risk your lives and you went in and you got this water because I wanted it? 
And, and David says, this water is so precious. I know you guys got it for me to drink. But the only thing that could be done with something this valuable is that it be given to God. You might wonder why David is a man after God's own heart. Well, you want to find out. You'll find out in this story right here. You see, you know, we, we give God our crumbs. We give God our leftovers. We give God what we can, what, what we can do without, without really hurting us in any way. That's not what Mary does. That's not what Lazarus does. We don't understand sacrifice. We don't understand giving until we don't have ourselves. We understand uh, planned giving and what's okay and what's reasonable and whatever. I'm telling you, this is not reasonable. The value of this water, he goes, what? Am I going to drink your blood too? He said, men, he said, this is so valuable and so precious and so lovely. I can't drink it. But man, I could offer this to the Lord. What do you think the Lord thought about that? I think God was very pleased with that. I think that's why it's in Scripture. That's what made man, David a man after God's own heart. You see, people that love Christ. I called Rebecca into our bedroom the other night and... She probably thought I was crazy, and I'm asking her, I'm, do, do, you, do you just want to be a good person? I, I think of some of you in this church, and I think, you know, I think they want to be good people. But that's not what I want for my kids. I don't want my kids to want to be moral, good people who live decent lives. That's not what I want for my children. I want them to love God. And I want them to not be reasonable about their love for God. I don't want them to give God what they can do without. I want them to be people who love God and say, the most valuable thing I have is worth being poured out on the ground for God because I love Him so. You see, Mary believed that Jesus was going to die. He had told them. And although those people around weren't believing it, she believed it. And she knew that there was nothing more important that could be done on that day than to give her the most valuable thing she had. Folks, it was her life savings. It was everything she had. This hurt her. This impoverished her. This shamed her. This soiled her. She not only poured out the monetary things she had, but her own physical body down at her feet took her hair and she became somewhat repulsive to people, covered in the oil that she poured out because she did not love herself and her own value, but she loved Christ. Do you see what's happening here? You see, Mary could see a lot, but she wasn't looking at Judas and she wasn't thinking about the poor and she wasn't thinking about money and she wasn't thinking about anything in the story. But what? Who was she thinking about? She was thinking about Jesus. People will look at you and they will look at your life and they will say what he's doing or what she's doing isn't reasonable. It isn't smart. It doesn't make financial sense. There are many better things that could have been done. Can't you imagine the good, Tim, that could have been done with all of that money? Because you see, that's how we think. We think about money. I haven't seen faith like this in America. You want to see faith like this, you have to go somewhere else. I see it in Myanmar. That's why I go. 
I don't go because they're poor. I go because they're rich. And being around them and watching them pour out their lives makes me want to do the same with my very own. And yeah, they need stuff and money and oil. They got to eat rice or whatever. But I'm praying that we today would behold our King. That we would not worry so much about the money. That we would not worry so much about the poor. That we would not worry so much about the new miracle or the new miracle man. Here at her house in Bethany, she offered Jesus her very best. The most valuable thing she had, the oil and her own body, her hair, her glory, she poured at his feet. Oh, the breathtaking beauty of it. Oh, would it be God that we offered him all, not just the crumbs that fall from our table. Oh, that we understood his worth and the true worth of all the things that our flesh longs for. For all that is in the world is what, guys? The lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of our eyes, all the things that we can behold when God calls us to behold our King. Would to God we understood that there is nothing so valuable, so worthy of our humility. But to gloriously look upon Him. If we understood this, we would not walk like the blind who grope in the darkness, preserving our own wealth, our positions, our imagined futures, that we would indeed not seek after these things, for they are the things the Gentiles seek after, Jesus told us. He said, but if we could seek first what? The kingdom of God and His righteousness. I'll kind of fly through this form five. Then said the disciple, Judas Iscariot, which should betray him. Why was not the ointment sold? Folks, he's not being unreasonable at all. He's being very reasonable. Shouldn't it be given to the poor? Look on the poor with compassion, but they are not our chief end. Knowing him is our chief end. Your pastor gets worked up. I get depressed. I feel like a failure trying to raise money for these people in Myanmar. And God says to me, look at me. Serve me. Don't worry about those people. Do your best for those people. But I am who you're trying to care for and to worship. Do that. And I can add what they need. I'm always the one that gives them what they need anyway. But we take these things upon ourselves as somehow they're what God wants us to do. We want to be... You know, we want to really school our kids good. We want to raise people for the kingdom. You know what we should want? We should want to serve God. And Him alone, please Him. Verse 6, this he said not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the bag and he bared what was in it. Oh, would to God we would not love money. The Bible says the love of money is the root of evil. And I'm telling you, it is. Judas wasn't even looking at the poor, although he pretended to look at the poor. But you know what Jesus said? He said, let her alone. Against the day of my burying has she kept this. She did this to prepare me. It could be that Mary did believe him when she said he was going to die and she was preparing him for this day with her very best. 
What would you hold back if you knew that your loved one was going to die? What would you hold back from them? Nothing. We often give people their last wish. But what if we believed the kingdom was coming and God's will was going to be done on earth as it was in heaven? Would we live our lives building the kingdom of Downey, of Brownfield? If we believed his kingdom was coming and his will was being done on earth as it was in heaven, we would live very different lives than we do now, but we do not. Jesus says this, and I've heard this quoted wrong, but it's appropriate to quote today. For the poor you will always have with you, but me, you don't. Jesus was putting it in the same context. Yeah, we're to to honor our father and mother. We're to obey them. We're to love them. But our love for them should be like hate in comparison to love for Christ. Yeah, take care of the poor, but don't neglect your service to God. Look on the poor, but they are not an end in themselves. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there. They came not for Jesus, but that they might see Lazarus. You see the thing they were coming to look at the miracle man. Many came to see the miracle man, a worthy object indeed, but compared to the author of the miracle, he was nothing to look at. All he did was receive what Jesus only had the power to give on them who would believe. So then the chief priests, they want to kill him. They want to kill Lazarus too. You see, when you get the world looking at you and not at Christ, they'll eventually want to kill you. This is where Jesus says in verse 15, I'm skipping down because I'm going to end with something. Verse 15, Jesus says, behold thy king. Everybody say, behold thy king. Let us people of God behold our king. Let us behold him in his humility as he calls us to seek not to please men. Not to save our own lives. Not to seek food and clothing and shelter or even a secure tomorrow. Behold thy king. Everybody say, behold thy king. I'm going to close today. I don't know how long I've been preaching, but I'm going to close today from Matthew chapter 6. And tell me if this is not what Jesus is teaching. And if he had a pulpit, his fist would be pounding it and pounding it as he said these words on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your father which is in heaven. Therefore, when you do your alms, do not sound the trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou dost thine alms, not let thy left hand know what thy right hand do. Thine alms may be in secret that thy father sees in secret. Himself shall reward thee openly. And when you pray, be not as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But now when thou prayest, enter thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father in secret, and thy Father who sees you shall reward thee openly. Lee, love, can you see God? No, but He always sees me. You see, we are to behold our King because He is watching us.
And you'll see in Matthew 6 over and over, he's saying, get your eyes off of the poor. Get your eyes off of what people think about you. Get your eyes off of all of these things. Get your eyes off of food and clothing and shelter and money and seek the kingdom of God. When you pray, use not vain repetitions. That's what the heathen do because they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not therefore like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And pray like this, our father, which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father shall forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with their sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head and wash thy face, that thou appear unto men not to fast. Make yourself not seen in your prayers. Make yourself not seen in your fasting. Make yourself not seen. Because even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, we've got to look unto him. And if people look at Christ, they'll be saved. If they look at us, they're going to find a bunch of whited sepulchers. Lay not up self, yourself treasures where the moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If your heart and your mind and your eyes are on money, there's where your whole life's going to be. He says this in verse 22 of Matthew 6, the light of the body is the eye. Everybody say, the light of my body is my eye. If therefore your eye is single, the whole body shall be full of light. If thine eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is it? He's saying, look on your king. Look at me. Don't get men to look at you. Don't look at these other things. Pursue me. No man can serve two masters, for either one will hate the one and love the other, or else will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. He says, don't look at your own life. Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, neither for your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat and body more than raiment? He's saying, it is what Christ says over and over. He that seeks to save his life shall do what? He shall lose it. Behold the fares of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap, nor do they gather in barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to your statue? Which one of you taking thought for your raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, for they grow and they toil not, neither do they spin. And I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. I know this is a long passage, but it's saying it, and we're going to close after I get done. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today is, and tomorrow is cast in the oven, how much more shall He clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows you need these things. Seek me. Look at me. I'll give all these things to you. Verse 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Do you see? You can get all those things on the way, but we seek Him and we get them. 
You know, Tim, I know you're trying to do something different with your job, and I'm telling you, it can be easy to go, if I can just get this, then this, then this. God's saying to you, Tim, seek the kingdom. Don't worry about that. That doesn't mean don't work, and that, but, what, but, but, but don't bank on that. eBay could be no more tomorrow, or Amazon, or whoever. It doesn't matter. We get worked up. Our heart, our mind, our eyes, that's what our life gets about that. And when it doesn't work out, it's so frustrating. But let me tell you who doesn't disappoint, who doesn't let us down, who doesn't fold, who doesn't collapse, who doesn't short sale your stocks. It's God. Take no thought for tomorrow. He doesn't even want us looking at that. For tomorrow shall take thought of the things of itself sufficient unto the day of that. You think we have a clear message from the Lord today? I needed to hear that this week. I'm thankful I got to hear it a few days before you because I wasn't doing too good. I'm so thankful to get to be the pastor of this church and get to bring the Word of God because I need it twice as bad as you so I get to hear it two and three times. Oh, people of God today, let us pray. Let's ask God to make our eyes single, to make our lives about Christ and not about all these other things. Things. We'll get all that good stuff too. But if that's what you seek, you'll never have it. Let us pray. Lord, we need you. There is a lot to be learned in the house of mourning, much more than the house of myrrh. And Lord, we have needed some lessons from the other side. Lord, you have brought suffering upon us, deep suffering in so many ways. And We are thankful for it. Lord, the sickness that you brought into our church caused us to feel like our own hurricane has hit Ohio as we wonder about the uncertainty of what will happen. Lord, may we not look to our own health. May we not look to our own lives, but may we seek first the kingdom. Lord, we panic. We treat others poorly. We get selfish in the middle of these difficulties. And we have done that here in our church because we've not looked at You. Lord, I pray we would look at You, that we would love each other, that we would be kind. Lord, that we would be gentle and tender with one another, O God. And that we would walk like the faith that You have given us, that we would walk in it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you. Amen.